0: Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the Serta family. Thank you for the baptism of Hayden and Mia. Thank you, Lord, for the bright prospect of their lives walking with you. Give us all the grace to hear your voice and your word, to follow, to obey, to receive correction where we need it, and to live for you, our living hope. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Good morning you'll need your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 5, please. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please help yourself to one in the seats. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take it home with you. I would love for you to have it. We are concluding a short summer series in the Proverbs, and I didn't know exactly where we would land, but I've saved probably the most intense passage in the Proverbs for last. Let me just invite you on the front side to hear God's voice and God's wisdom in the passage. And on this topic, God's voice and God's wisdom speaks over a lot of noise and a lot of contradiction. The first time I touched this passage was seven years ago. A great American, one of the most notable men in our nation's history, His name was David General Petraeus. Overnight, a literal war hero, a man entrusted with the nation's not only fighting forces, but also eventually its secrets, was disgraced. He became a punchline. Videos, memes, jokes all sorts of things started circulating about General David Petraeus because in spite of all of his accomplishment, his legendary discipline, he behaved like a fool, had an adulterous affair with his official biographer, another soldier who grew close to him in helping him tell his life story. And that's been a long time ago. It takes much more to shake us now, but that reverberated around the whole country. So in very short notice, on just a few days, I changed my topic, and we looked at Proverbs chapter 5. You see, Proverbs chapter 5 is pleading, warning, urgent wisdom from a father to a son. It's actually rather unique in the book of Proverbs because what Proverbs is most famous for, of course, are these punchy two-line sayings. This topic has Solomon bend down close and speak to his sons. He's going to talk to them about sexual temptation and immorality. Not all of us in this building are sons. There are men and women, young and old, married and single. So you'll have to hear his wisdom, specifically directed and tailored for his son. You'll have to make the adaptation depending on your gender and your season of life but he's talking about the heart of sexual sin and it must be important because proverbs goes back to this topic three different times and unlike these punchy short sayings it devotes extended sections of teaching to this one topic once and then again and then again, every time pleading, every time warning, with the wisdom of a great teacher, painting a picture of joy on one hand and destruction on the other. And this will be a hard message for some of you, because in your lived experience, you've already felt the sting of the consequences that Solomon is describing. For you, I'm going to tell you now and remind you at the end that the grace of Jesus Christ is perfect and complete. That he is in the business of forgiving and redeeming and literally remaking people. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But before we hear about grace, we have to hear the warning. Because if Solomon was tempted, certainly we are much more. You see, in his day, sexual immorality took another person in real life. In our day, it does not. We've created a culture and used the most powerful technology in the world to harness. We've harnessed that to provide for those who are so interested. Saturation in the worst kinds of sexual immorality that people have been able to come up with. And you can do that 24-7 through a little device called a smartphone you can actually keep in your pocket. It's hard to imagine that Solomon would have anticipated things like... Hookup culture, or an app called Tinder, that invites people, in some cases absolute strangers, to share intimacy, to share pleasure, and things that God reserved for a man and a woman to enjoy in a lifetime, they can share it in a few hours. And organizations like the American Psychological Association are now quantifying the damage of disregarding what Proverbs chapter 5 says. Because Proverbs chapter 5 is one long, pleading, urgent warning against sexual immorality. Young or old, man or woman, married or single, I want you to hear the Word of God, and I'm going to try to be clear without being crass. But along with God's wisdom, I want to tell you of a few instances where I've seen it come to life in my experience as a pastor. See, I'm three generations in ministry. I literally grew up listening to pastors talk around the kitchen table in my family home. And I've seen in real life both the consequences and the joys that Solomon describes here. It's real. And some of you think it doesn't apply to you. Some of you, these warnings are going to sound altogether too puritanical, relics of another age. They're not they come from the Creator. They're God's wisdom for His design for human sexuality, how it should be used, how it should be enjoyed, and the disaster that awaits every single person who disregards His instructions. So we begin in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. Solomon wants to tell his son first this, wisdom is always practical. It's meant for life. It's not a museum piece, it's not abstract, it's meant to be applied, it's meant to be lived out by actual people in real life situations. He begins, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. In other words, Solomon is saying, son, keep my wisdom or you'll lose your life. I'm going to give you wisdom. I want you to pay attention. I want you to come here. I want you to come close, son. I'm going to tell you where life and joy is and where disaster waits. And I can tell you this, but if you don't keep it, if you don't guard it, you'll be ruined. It'll be painful for you. And he begins the warnings. For the lips of a forbidden woman... In Hebrew, literally a strange woman, meaning a woman that does not belong to you, does not belong with you. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. This is wisdom literature. This is one of the genres of the Bible. It uses word pictures. Honey, sweet. Oil, smooth. That woman that you should have nothing to do with, son, she's enticing, she's appealing. She portrays great pleasure, great joy for you. Please understand the first thing in parents guiding your children, please never tell them that sin is not enjoyable. It is. Disregarding what God says has great pleasure but only for a moment. Don't tell them it's not fun. The Bible never says that. Sin has pleasure for a season. This forbidden woman, this strange woman, she's as sweet as honey. Her words flow like oil. They're smooth and sweet. Don't tell them it's not fun. Tell them the truth. Tell them it's not worth it. Tell them that the cost will be too high, that momentary pleasure will, the bill will continue to go up and you will find yourself, as you'll see in this chapter, you'll soon find yourself out of control of your life. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword." Wormwood is a plant you can find in nature. You don't have to have too much of it to get sick. If you have too much of it and it doesn't take a great deal, it'll actually kill you. So this woman that is sweet to the taste, whose words are smooth as oil, turns out, in the poetic language of Proverbs, turns out to be poison. Her smooth words turn into a blade that cuts you up. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. And there's that Hebrew word again that the translators haven't translated for us. It's the place of the dead, especially those who die apart from God. That's where she's headed. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Here's the frightening part of this first section of Proverbs. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wonder, it says, and she does not In other words, she's inviting Solomon's son to join her in death, to join her in disaster, and she herself does not know it. This is the first warning regarding sexual immorality. None of the people involved realize how badly it's going to end. And now let me speak to you as a pastor, who for whatever reason from my early 20s have had people confide in me the worst days of their lives and the worst decisions they've ever made short of physical death itself. The most heart-wrenching conversations I've ever had is someone who has not heeded this wisdom, who has indulged temptation, sometimes through pornography and sometimes in real life, and is now sitting in my office or sitting with me in my home, crying their eyes out, recounting the cost, and there's nothing at that moment that either one of us can do about it. When they set their foot on that path, they had no idea how badly it would end. It is the first warning about sexual immorality. When you get started, it will break your heart. You just don't know when and how badly. Look in verse 7 now. Now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. This is a very important truth that runs across the length of Scripture. When it comes to sexual immorality, because it is enticing, because it is appealing, because it does appeal to you mentally and physically, and you think to yourself when tempted, boy, that'd be great. You don't know how it's going to end. Neither does the person who's inviting you on that journey In this case, the woman, the woman who's tempting Solomon's son, she doesn't know the path of life. She's headed straight to death, but she herself does not know it. And that's why this next section of Scripture, number two, tells us this regarding sexual immorality. Staying far away from it is the only way to be safe. All across the Bible, the counsel, the instruction, the pleading of Scripture is always the same. Run. Verse 7. Now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house because the consequences will begin to mount. If you stand there and fight, if your idea of resisting temptation is to face it, you'll eventually lose. And it doesn't particularly matter how old you are. I'm sharing this. I'm preaching this to all of you because young men and young women, I don't want you to ruin your lives. You can make decisions now that shape your future forever. You can commit sins now that yes, Jesus will forgive, but as I'm going to show you, may have long-lasting effects and long-lasting consequences. It may be the situation that I've seen too many times that Jesus heals the wound, but you'll always have the scar to look at. And the wisdom of Solomon would spare you all that by telling you when you're tempted in this particular way, the only way to be safe is to get out. See, both in undergrad and graduate school, I went to school with people who were serious about the Bible on their way to being pastors and missionaries. Because in... Their youthful pride, some of the guys would not believe, and they thought it was cowardly to run from sexual temptation. They did silly things instead, like memorize Bible verses and put the Bible between themselves and their date on the seat of the car. Didn't work. (laughs) That Bible can too easily be put in the back seat. This is the only thing, That the Bible tells us to do when tempted sexually is to run. Let me show you in the New Testament. It says, Flee from sexual immorality. Not ponder the goodness and the mercy of God. That's good, that's true, that's helpful. You're commanded to do that elsewhere. But when tempted, your only safe way out is to run. It's not surrender, it's a safe retreat. It's putting in practice the first and fundamental truth about protecting yourself. Distance helps. Somebody wants to punch you in the eye in Huntington Beach, but they happen to be in Nashville, you're safe. They're not going to do a thing to you. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Every time the instruction And the example, consider Joseph in Egypt, is to run. Why is that? Because the stakes are that high. I only have episodic memories of 9-11 because I was in a village in Mexico on that terrible day. I saw about 30 seconds of coverage once both towers were down on a black-and-white television set about 13 inches wide. So it didn't really affect me as... Deeply, I'm sure, as it affected those of you who were here in the United States. And I didn't really learn much about it. It was only a few years ago that I realized through reading that there were actually 16 and a half minutes between the attacks. There were 16 and a half minutes between the first airplane strike and the second. That means that everybody in the second tower could have lived. Most did. 1,400 people lived. One of them was named Tim Sullivan. He was an army reservist, the fire warden for his floor, and he could not begin to know or imagine what was going on, but Tim saw a comet of flame race past his window, and he knew that he was in mortal danger, so much so that he didn't even go back for his wedding ring. He'd put it on his his computer keyboard. He forgot all about it and ran and lived. 600 people died that day because they heard announcements that were given in the building, that all was secure in their building, and they could safely stay in their work. So some people watched their bosses. They looked up over the cubicle, saw the boss with his head down and working, and said, that's way too awkward, really unprofessional, might endanger my career to leave. The boss is working, I guess I'll sit down and go back to work. Just a few minutes before the second plane strike, another false announcement was made that all was well. They did not know that another plane was coming. The only way for them to live that day is to run. 1,400 ran and lived. That's sexual temptation. It is a disaster on that scale. It is that overwhelming. Once it gets started and gets its hook into you physiologically and mentally, it is nearly impossible to resist. That's why, and I'm going to be practical in a moment, your way out is to run. If you don't remember anything else, I say to you today, especially if you're a young man. And the digital world of pornography already has its deadly hand around your throat. Hear that. Flee from sexual immorality. Whatever it takes, however awkward or strange you have to be compared to the culture around you, your task and your safety is running from sexual immorality. But there's good news in Corinthians as well, in addition to this sharp instruction. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Read this with me. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That really straightens me up. Because we all know, I better than most, three generations in ministry, that there have been a lot of Bible teachers, both men and women. There have been a lot of pastors who have taught these truths better than I ever could and then been exposed and embarrassed and ruined because they were indulging the very sin they were preaching against. Please hear that. If you're middle-aged or older and thinking that this has no relevance for you, let me assure you that it does. The only thing worse than a young fool is an old fool. And temptation has a funny way of waiting until it can ruin your life. Young men and young women, if it can ruin you today and neutralize you in your mind because you ignore and don't believe that the grace of Jesus applies to you, if it can neutralize you today, temptation and sin will. But if it can't, your enemy is cunning and patient, and he will wait until you have prominence, until your fall destroys others until your fall discourages and embarrasses your family and your friends and the people who have come to look to you for guidance. That's why it says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Here's the good news. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Read with me. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Here, you're made a promise. God, who knows the human heart, who knows your frailty, who knows your weakness, and knows what it will take to ruin you, He will be faithful to you. And every time you were tempted, He will make sure that you are not tempted beyond your ability to withstand it. So, along with temptation, He will provide you a way of what's it say? Escape. There's that running language again. There's the get out while you can language. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When it comes to sexual temptation and sin, the way to endure is to escape. The way to endure is to run because it is the only certain way for you to be safe. Verse 8. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. And here he starts listing up the consequences. It's a list 3,000 years old, but it's as timely as today. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of the foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, hear the lament of a ruined man. Make sure this isn't you. How I hated discipline. My heart despised reproof. In other words, I would not take correction. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. What are you being told here about sexual immorality and sexual sin? You're being told this stark, ugly truth. The consequences are certain, but they're totally out of your control. Please hear that. That language that I just read to you wasn't poetic your honor will be taken by others." That was Petraeus' case. He's a general. He commanded armed forces at one of the most difficult times in our nation's modern history of warfare. He was entrusted with secrets that only a handful of people in our nation's history have been given. And he was ruined in a moment. His, ta- his Honor was taken by others and he had men that are bigger fools than he was making jokes about him on the internet. All of that disaster opens up for anyone, young or old, man or woman, who indulges in sexual immorality. The consequences are coming, you just don't know how bad they will be. God and His mercy might make them very small. It might only be embarrassment. It might only be a cold season in your marriage It might only be for younger people a deep sense of unworth and shame that nobody else knows, and you would never share with another person. In other words, it all may be hidden, it may be silent, it may not even go public and ruin you financially the way it ruins so many others, but the point of this is you don't know and you can't control it. It's not up to you anymore. Once you buy your ticket on this ride, you have no control and no idea how it's going to end because what sexual sin always does is it takes what is yours and it gives it away to others. And it can take everything, including your life. I'm going to tell you a story I've told you once or twice before. Many of you haven't heard it. Perhaps others have forgotten it. If you, even if you have heard it, maybe the reminder will be helpful. Helpful. It's on my mind because the man at the center of the story died a few weeks ago. He wasn't much older than I am. And I can't know for sure. This is back in Mexico. But I would, I would be shocked if his early death wasn't precipitated by the sins he indulged in. He knew the Bible as well as anyone I've ever met. There's only a handful of Professors I met in seminary that I would put above him in terms of his grasp of the Bible, knowledge of God, love for God, and love for souls. He was basically a lay pastor in our church. And because he loved to tell people about Jesus, Satan set a very enticing trap for him. He met an old flame, and he told her about Jesus. God had blessed him with a wonderful family and a wife that was expecting his former lover who he had met many years before he came to faith in Christ, loved loved what she was hearing and listened with interest. So he kept going back, and it went from talking about Jesus. He was foolish. He didn't take his wife with him. He told her nothing about what he was doing. And then something deadly happens, and I'll just tell all of you married people, the point when you should start running is at the point of comparison. That's the first step on a deadly path. When you look at somebody else, when you look at the strange man, the strange woman, the person who does not belong with you, and you make a point of comparison that is unfavorable to your spouse, at that exact moment, you need to run. That is not the time to have another meeting. That is not the time to exchange private cell phone numbers. That is not the time for meeting on... Messaging on social media, that's the time to run because you have begun to set in motion something that could be disastrous. For this man, it was worse than anything I've ever seen. He became involved in what became a fairly public affair, so we pleaded with him as his pastors, and he made a deadly choice. He said to me one day, and it shocked me, I know exactly what the Bible says. I figure I'm man enough to take whatever God wants to dish up he was wrong. Before it was over, he was in prison. You see, part of the consequences that he did not know and could not control is that his lover had a lover. And the other man was richer, more powerful, more influential than my friend. So when the second lover found out that his girl was going out with my friend, she fearing that she would lose the man with the money and the influence, said he... I'm not his lover. He raped me. And she also had a family member who was a judge. So she made one phone call, and they arrested him in front of his family, and he went to prison for a solid year, accused of a violent sexual crime that he did not commit. I got permission to go inside the prison. It's the most frightening thing I've ever done, and for the second time, the second service, I'm feeling my blood pressure rise remembering it. they turned me loose into the general population all they did to mark me as someone who got to go home later was paint one hand bright yellow and i sat in scenes that i will never forget around some of the most horrible horrible human wrecks i've ever seen and sat and cried with him at how wrong he was and how steep the consequences are you say now bruce you're trying to scare us yes i am undoubtedly That's an outlier story, yes it is, but I can tell you from small consequences to prison and being arrested in front of your family, once you get started on this path, the consequences will come and you don't know and you can't control how bad they're going to be. This is why you're told to run. This is why you're told that this Sin, compared to all the others, is in a category all of its own that you will bring into your own body the effects of what God designed for the pleasure of marriage. A few years ago, I studied with the greatest single subject matter expert I've ever known. I've studied with a lot of different people. I had the blessing of sitting in the classroom and listening to a lot of smart men and women. But Dave Carter stands alone. His subject matter is adultery. How people fall into it and what it takes to recover from it if, in fact, they can. And he explained something to me that I saw in my friend in Mexico. He said, you go past a certain point and what he calls the infatuation explosion takes over. Anyone who's ever wanted to be married and love someone or is married has felt that. There comes a point in your mind that you say, I don't care what anybody says. If my mom doesn't like her too bad for my mom, I guess we won't be talking very much. I don't care what my pastor, I don't care what God says, I don't care what happens to me, I'm all in. And once you start down that path, if she does not belong with you, if if he is not your spouse, the consequences open up and you have no idea where it will take you. This is a warning. And finally, in this passage, before we're done, there's a break in the tension. Verse 15, this is poetic imagery, and it's going to talk to you about the antidote that God has provided, the path of joy and peace that He would have you enjoy instead. See if you can figure out what He's talking about before He spells it out. Solomon says, verse 15, drink water from your own cistern flowing waters from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. What's he talking about, church? Anybody know? He's talking about God's greatest earthly gift. Marriage. Look at the very next line because he's going to Set the poetic language aside and spell it out. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, back to poetry. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. You might want to underline that word intoxicated or whatever your particular translation has. It's very interesting. It can be translated lost. It can be translated captured. Solomon is saying, son, you'll be married someday. And God in your youth will give you a wife, and it is your job to delight yourself in her, to be intoxicated by the love that first captured her, to stay with her and to be continually captured and lost in her love because, verse 20, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? See, the antidote, number four, the antidote that God has provided against sexual immorality is for you, a spouse, to drink from your own well. To enjoy your wife for life. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Please note, it doesn't say let you enjoy your wife while she's young. It says you enjoy, you remain intoxicated, you remain captured by that woman In that private sanctuary, in that fountain that belongs only to the two of you, you enjoy each other for the rest of your life. Make sure that you remain captured, lost, and intoxicated with her, or you might be intoxicated and captured by somebody else. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is a little literary, but here's what Solomon is telling you. He's telling you, he's telling his son, son, keep wisdom be captivated by what God gave you, or you'll be captivated by temptation. And Once temptation gets hold of you, you'll be captivated by the consequences of your sin. That means that as a married man, my job is to stay in love. That means it's my job to run at the first sight of comparison. It's to develop such a reverence for God and a fear of the consequences that He has warned me and told me are always outside the boundaries of the life He wants me to live, that I will love the Lord and love my wife for the rest of my life, as I promised, as long as we both shall live, knowing that the moment I stray from that path, the consequences are waiting. Because, and this is deeply ironic if you know the rest of the story... (laughs) The fifth thing that this passage tells you, and the final thing this Bible tells you about sexual temptation in Proverbs chapter 5 is it makes you forget that you can't fool God. Look at verse 21. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him as he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Listen, I know, and this is part of the heaviness, this is part of the difficulty for me in sharing this passage with you. Some of you are already trapped, and I know it. For a lot of you, it hasn't moved into real life, thank God, but digitally, digitally, Through your computer, through your device, you've already been captured. And there was a time when it was sweet and enticing to you. And now you can't sleep unless you indulge that. And now it haunts you, men and women, I'm finding. And you don't like what it's done to you. You don't like how it makes you quiet. You don't like how it makes you vigilant and guarded lest you be discovered. Please remember at the center of this passage is God. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his past. Sexual immorality makes you think that you in humanity are unique, that you're special that you're smart, that you'll get away with it. May I say something to you? Very countercultural. None of us are special. Not one of us. These truths, these laws from God's heart for His creation apply to every single one of us. The God who made human beings and made us sexual beings and gave us marriage as His gift to enjoy for a life to reflect the, life that, the love that Jesus has for His church and the loving response that the church has for Jesus, that is set in God's heart forever. It won't end until we're all united to God. And sexual temptation does a unique thing. It blinds you and makes you think that you alone in human history are unique. That you can indulge this and bring no harm into your reputation, into your soul, into your heart. Into your finances, into the lives of your children. It makes you forget that you can't fool God. And you're wrong. The design for God's people is a lifetime of purity and holiness. Look what it says in First Thessalonians chapter four. I want you to see this passage, please. This is the will of God your sanctification. In other words, that you will live more and more set apart for him as you learn to walk along with Jesus. Specifically, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Read the last sentence with me. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Let me close with good news. And don't let the good news soften the severity of the warning. Proverbs chapter 5 and the two warnings that follow it shortly sit on the page starkly as warnings. And no escape and no way out, no redemption, no forgiveness is mentioned in that passage of Scripture because Solomon is pleading with his sons, listen to me, guard this, or ruin your life. And the tremendous irony of this is that these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Do you remember how his life ended He's legendary for hundreds of marriages and hundreds of concubines. And in his old age, the man who wrote all this, the last things over his gravestone is his wives led his heart away from his God. And after Solomon's death, he had a fool of a son who said, you think my dad was tough? Watch what I do. And civil wars split the nation of Israel apart. They were never restored. They never came back together. All of that began because one man who knew better refused to live better. Don't miss the severity, but listen to the grace and listen to the forgiveness. David, Solomon's father, committed the act of treacherous adultery and in fact led to the murder of the man whose wife he slept with to cover up his sin. That's why it's so striking that David gave us this beautiful psalm, Psalm 51. Look at what it says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. If you're struggling, you're you're already fallen, your marriage is already at the brink of ruin and you don't know if there's any hope. If you're a young man or a young woman who's so ensnared in pornography, you don't think you'll ever be the same, listen to this. God's mercy is available according to His steadfast love. Not your goodness, not your strength, But his steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. All of that is available and we know that because God gave his son, Jesus Christ, who was tempted in every way, in the same way we are, but with this great difference. Jesus was tempted in the exact same way you have been, but without sin. And the good news of the gospel is he offers his pure, precious, unstained, innocent, righteous life in place of mine and the mess I made of it. That's why the Apostle John, my favorite verse in the entire Bible is right here. Read it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, that literally means to agree with God about your sins. That's what the Greek word means. It literally means to say the same thing. In other words, it's not acknowledging. You can go to jail, you can go to prison and meet a lot of guys who acknowledge what they've done. They don't agree with God or the authorities about how wrong it was. No, forgiveness, restoration, begins when you agree with God about what you've done wrong. When you agree with Him, He is faithful because He promised to do so, and He is just because Jesus already paid for those sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins, and I'm so grateful my Heavenly Father included this word, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, what's it say? All unrighteousness if anyone is in Christ, he truly is a new creation. Not a remodeled, not a repaired. A new creation. So hear it from a fellow Christian. A fellow struggler. If this, any of this passage makes sense to you, has identified painful things in your life, has made you remember something you try to forget, at least when you're in church, that there's a deep secret and dark side of you that you're indulging and you think nobody else knows, please run from it. Run to Jesus for forgiveness. Agree with Him about your sin and forsake it. And the Bible says you will receive mercy. On Tuesday nights at 7, and it's been going on for quite a while, we have a group of men who meet to study the Bible and to hold each other accountable and encourage each other in this very issue. That group would be happy to see you. If God is moving on your heart and you're saying, I need to be done with this. I don't like what's happening. I don't like what I've become. I don't like where this is headed. If God's opening you, opening your eyes up to the severity of all this, please, please get in touch. My email's in the bulletin. If you'd rather text, here's the number 714-328-7196. 328-7196. It's that urgent. Whether I meet with you personally or put you in touch with the people who can help you, you can't go on living like this. Your life is too short, the love of God too precious, the blessing that God can make you to others once you have your life in order and you have integrity and you walk with peace and joy is too great. If you're indulging this and you have children, they can't wait for you to get this figured out, Dad. If you're a young married man and you still feel the pull of pornography that you thought would disappear when you were married, it doesn't. The only way to get this right is to surrender to God, to heed these warnings in His Word, and to embrace this amazing grace we're told of that if only you will confess your sin. He will be faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you, listen to the promise, from all unrighteousness. So please don't waste it. Let's pray. I'm just going to be quiet and let you talk to God about your individual situation. There's probably hundreds and hundreds of different scenarios here. Some of you may need to come to faith in Christ and ask Him for the first time sincerely to save you, forgive your sins. Others are struggling. Others have already fallen. Talk to your Heavenly Father about it. Father, thank You for the clarity of Your Word. May it save lives and spare people of consequences. May it open up gates of joy and calm and peace that people don't currently experience and may not believe can apply to them again. Do your redemptive work, Lord, here, and men or women, whoever needs help, give them the courage to reach out first to you and then to at least one of us, Lord, in the church leadership, that we may come alongside them, help them bear their burden, point them back to you, And Lord, in a a rotten culture that is just soaked in immorality and degradation, give us the grace and the determination to live above, to live holy and pure, that we may have your joy, that we may be the blessing you created us to be. I ask this in Jesus' name. Crosspoint said, Amen. amen. God bless you. Hope to hear from you if you need help.